You are listening to the Fantasy Fund Manager podcast. I'm Stuart Lerman from Biz News. The winner of week 25 was Mark Lamberti, up 2.18%. And this week, if you didn't pick Tex Tanner, which is up around 40%, and you didn't pick Patton Share, you're on a hiding to nothing. Guests today are Gareth Montana from Corian Capital and Kanyani Matloy, Senior Portfolio Manager for Listed Property at Turbine Capital. Gareth, just on Textainer, it's up after announcing its intention to delist. If we look at the 10-year trend on the JSC, we've seen a decline of about 28% of listings. It's not a South African trend, but your thoughts on this move? Yeah, so you get to a point, and I think we've discussed this a few times, you know, relating to the valuations of some of the SA Inc. stocks and what we mean, just as a reminder to, to guests, SA Inc. meaning companies that derive their earnings or focus on business within South African borders. Um, Evaluations have been under pressure for some time, but you get to a point where these shares are so cheap that there isn't actually much upside being listed anymore. Being listed comes with a lot of of regulatory oversight. Uh, It's expensive to run a listed company. So if you're not getting the valuation and benefit coming through in your share price, the trend will continue to take these companies and delist them. Uh, Thanks, Gareth. Kanyani, your first time on the show. Uh, just quickly for listeners, can you describe in a, a day in your shoes? Uh, thanks, Stuart. Uh, thanks for having me. So um, as a property portfolio manager at Turbine Capital, um, I try to start my day around two hours before the local equity market opens. Um, it gives me enough time to sort of uh, go through our positions on the property side, um, look at overnight market movements across the globe, uh, basically catch up with um, news um, on the global and the local front. So I I read um, the major financial publications in uh, quite a lot of detail. Um, yeah, and then also catch up on a lot of sense announcements that basically get released overnight and just uh, prepare for the day ahead. Um, and then during results season, uh, for the most part, um, I spend uh, a lot of time going through company results, analyzing the financials, uh, listening to, to the results webinars and just sort of updating models, um, basically updating our investment case for each of the stocks we look at. And sending uh, feedback to the team on yeah the view on, on the respective stock that uh, I would have looked at um on the day so yeah it gets uh to be quite busy um from time to time obviously uh throughout the day we'll be looking at Bloomberg screens looking at what um the the prices are doing uh, on the stock level um and then from yeah where it's warranted essentially we'll be um executing trades uh to take advantage of any any major market moves yeah uh, so that's my day in a nutshell and just on fancy fund manager can you how how have you found the game. Um, it's been um, very interesting. Uh, it's been uh, a lot of fun playing it in the office. We've got our internal sort of leaderboard. Um, so from week to week, it's interesting how the different departments and how the different individual individuals in the team are faring. So it's uh, yeah, always humbling when obviously um, as the, the investment professionals, essentially like uh, one week will basically be, be trumped by um, colleagues who are not necessarily um, in the investment team. So it's uh, a lot of fun. Um, we yeah, we're having a lot of fun basically um, all competing with each other uh, within Terribin. Yeah. A similar thing in the current capital office, Gareth? Yeah, no, and, uh, unfortunately, we've got a few people near tops of leaderboards and they tend to gloat quite a lot. Uh, uh, I'm not one of them, but it's, it's, it's hard to stomach at some points. Okay, Nadi, just on the delisting story, is there a similar trend in the listed property space? Um, not to the same extent, I suppose, as in the broader market. Um, the listed property in its heyday a couple of years ago, uh, you had uh, quite a lot of listings uh, take place um, every other month. Uh, this is now five, six years ago. And obviously, as the sector has uh, somewhat fallen out of favor, um, 
you've seen less and less of basically, obviously, the listings. And then on the delisting side, uh, the way you've seen it is not necessarily um, a lot of take privates uh, per se. It's been um, basically a lot of companies uh, which have, uh, I suppose, uh, an existing stake essentially either make a bid for the remain of the stake, but these are companies that are themselves also within the sector. So we've seen um, a few of those are the most recent being uh, Liberty Two Degrees, um, the parent company being uh, Liberty, essentially part of the Standard Bank Group, uh, made an offer. Um, and essentially, um, that's on the cards to be concluded uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, and that's an example of it, but it hasn't been uh, that widespread, essentially, as you've seen. But I think to to the point Gareth makes, um, uh, the benefits, especially if you get where valuations sit, um, for most of these companies, the benefits of being um, listed, uh, given all the things that it comes with, um, are not that obvious anymore, um, yeah, in the current environment. Kanyani, just from, from my side, I think it's it's quite interesting because you know, we've we've obviously come out of COVID a few years ago and these these listed property and property generally been under pressure. We all know that, you know, Gauteng property certainly is not stacking up with what's going on in the Western Cape. And there, there's a lot of negativity around property. So as a sector, I, I mean, how do you see the South African property sector? There, there's obviously a massive revaluation from COVID. Are we getting to levels where in your mind it's attractive um, and how are, you know, I, I think an, an important thing, I think, for, for for listeners is how aggressive are our companies, our listed property companies? How much gearing do they have relative to global peers? Uh, just how is the industry itself stacked up? Okay. Let, let, yeah, let me start with the sort of the gearing side. I think if you look at it, um, basically the SA um, average LTV ratio sits um, in sort of the high 30s, so call it an average of 36 to 38%. Obviously, um, some companies um, below and above that, uh, but uh, on a global sort of um, level uh, compared to, say, the Australian market and the UK market, we probably uh, in line. Uh, we sit below what you see in continental Europe. Uh, the, the companies, the, the property companies, they tend to run uh, a bit higher leverage um, than basically we see in South Africa, Australia and the UK. And then compared to, to the U.S., um, I think they sit with uh, slightly better balance sheets. But I think it's not just the, the sort of the gearing or the, the sort of the debt to assets ratio that you must look at. It's also uh, how many times your operating income actually covers um, your interest expense, especially um, in this current environment of elevated interest rates. And within the South African context, you sit um, with uh, an interest cover ratio of about two and a half times to three times. So your operating earnings can essentially pay your interest um two and a half to three times, basically, your annual interest bill. So I think from the gearing side, um, local companies are definitely, uh, I would say, um, well, um, essentially um, geared. Um, it's not um, in any sense um, basically reflecting as being strenuous uh, for the companies. Um, they're able to to cover their their, their interest bill. And yeah, from uh, in terms of um, the sensitivity of those valuations to um to, to potential uh, market moves in, in, in the, the property sort of valuations, um, it's also not screening as something that is too concerning at the current point in the cycle. So I'd say from a, a gearing perspective, certainly nothing that screens as, uh, as risky. Um, and then speaking more broadly about the valuations, you're right that basically since COVID, obviously you had the strenuous lockdowns uh, putting the company uh, valuations um, under pressure, incomes were sort of uh, uh, taken, uh, restrained rather. Um, and then since then, we've seen, um, I would say, a broad-based recovery at the operating numbers coming out of this company as basic, be it vacancies, be it rental growth, they're actually um, in the right direction. 
And obviously, the only the major thing that's been affecting uh, the sentiment towards the sector um, in basically the last couple of the last year to, to sort of 18 months has been the monetary policy environment, the, um, basically the tightest sort of uh, monetary policy you've seen um, basically since sort of yeah, um, in, in 40 years. And you've seen obviously with um, the what you call them um, risk-free rates being whether it's the U.S. 10-year or local um basically 10-year government bonds being at uh, levels that we haven't seen um, since essentially pre-GFC, especially on the U.S. side. Because of this risk-free rates being so high, uh, when you compare to other yielding assets, compared to what you can get in the risk-free uh, type of uh, instrument uh, like the U.S. 10-year, obviously the other ones um, may not look that attractive. And I think it all comes down to it being um, a question of what horizon you pick. Over the next 12 months, sure, um, these risk-free instruments are quite attractive. But obviously, you also have to look about. You have to look at it uh, more long term. Uh, say on a three to five year view, the current valuations that our property stocks trade at are very attractive. Especially if you look at um, the environment normalizing potentially over the next three to five years, and with that, essentially, can come income growth. So what you're getting is a yield of call it ten and a half percent average for for the sector now uh, has the potential once the environment has normalized to obviously uh, grow to something much greater. So on a three to five year view, uh, we think the current uh, levels are quite attractive uh, on a multi-year perspective. Kanani, just on the, we saw a census report. Uh, I know Gareth mentioned the Cape Town-Joburg thing. So I'm bringing it back to a local level. Apparently Cape Town is becoming bigger than Joburg. Are you, and obviously following on from COVID, you have a change in the work environment. Are you seeing any of this coming through in the companies that operate in Joburg and Cape Town? I know there's a Western Cape specific REITs, beer and stuff. No, absolutely. I think what we've seen um, essentially over the past year um, or longer even is that um, the Western Cape economy um, has done way better than the Gauteng economy. And it's not even just the Western Cape one. I think even KwaZulu-Natal to some extent. So if you look at Growth Point, which is the largest SA-focused street uh, within, within the sector, um, it obviously sits with a big portfolio and it has allocations to all these regions. What they're seeing, for example, in the office market within their Western Cape portfolio is miles ahead of what the experience in their Gauteng uh, portfolio um, has been. And yeah, so essentially, obviously, um, a couple of years ago, Gauteng used to uh, punch at its weight and it made a sense, basically made sense to, to allocate uh, a portion of one's portfolio to it uh, in line with essentially how it uh, contributed to SAGDP. Uh, but of late, given the underperformance, I think we have seen a, a few companies essentially uh, reassess essentially their strategies into new investments and whether it still makes sense to be um, allocated out into the same extent as they've been in the past. I think that performance of the Western Cape has been quite um, impressive. And I think, yeah, so that geographical difference, we know the sort of the, the old age-old mantra of property being about location, location, location. Um, the Western Cape is showing that uh, fully and uh, the REITs that have basically that uh, much more exposure to the Western Cape have tended to show uh, metrics that definitely um, are ahead of uh, what you see. Just on specific uh, value in in counters, Kanyane, do you see specific value on certain counters or potential traps on some others? Yeah, so I think um, across the 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 sector, um, I would say if you look at, um, I'll go into sort of one or two um, in detail. So essentially, the one stock we like um, is Equitas, which is a uh, a logistics specialist, um, and essentially. Outside of the the macro 
fundamentals, sort of the, the sector, subsector specific fundamentals that are supportive for it being logistics, the growth of e-commerce, supply chain optimization and the like. Uh, what has happened over the past couple of months is that um, the company had a, a decent exposure to the UK and they used some instruments um, essentially to uh, essentially structure the, the financing of that UK portfolio. And then given what has happened, um, basically the UK, you remember the topical things around the mini budget, um, the old uh, uh, prime minister that essentially didn't last uh, as long as the letters um, and, and so on. Uh, things changed and then essentially they had to uh, rejig their portfolio a bit. And on the back of that, they had a rebase in earnings. Uh, and over the next year, essentially their earnings are, are going to be down, call it 20% compared to their previous year. We see that as an opportunity because essentially that tells you uh, that one, you're now getting um, a lower base um, of earnings and going forward, that should grow way more organically than you've seen um, basically or that you expect in, in the other names in the sector. So uh, from evaluation perspective and given the rebasing that um, Equitas has actually undergone, uh, we think there's uh, basically room for it to actually deliver uh, quite compelling uh, sort of earnings growth over the medium term compared to, to the rest of the sector. Um, in terms of value traps, I wouldn't say value traps per se, just as opposed to understanding um, what you're getting in terms of um, the visibility of earnings um, in some of these companies. Uh, so similar to the point I made about equities, you wouldn't have wanted to have had exposure ahead of this. So for the other names, essentially about uh, just getting a sense of um, are these earnings that are basically baked in or are baked into the valuations? Is there um, enough resilience um, into into the current economic environment we, we're in? And yeah, um, without sort of singling any specific ones, I think it's just about being quite um, attuned to um, yeah what uh, essentially one is getting from the underlying side of uh, in terms of earnings. So uh, with regards to property counters, would you almost be looking for property with exposure, for instance, in the Western Cape or offshore, just to counter the sort of trend uh, with what we see in the sense as an example? Yeah, so I think um, within the SA space, the, the reason I sort of singled out equities, it's one of the few that is quite specialized uh, where you can get almost 100% exposure to one sector. Um, you've got maybe, to, to the example you made of Spear being 100% Western Cape exposure, you've got storage, uh, which is 100% exposure to self-storage self uh, properties. But outside of that, what you get in the sector generally is um, a diversified sort of exposure to um, the different subsectors, be it office, retail, and industrial. So it's very difficult to sort of allocate necessarily according to those themes. And on the offshore side as well, um, essentially on a look-through basis, about 50% of the all property index sits offshore um, in various jurisdictions, uh, the UK, uh, Central and Eastern Europe, uh, Australia to some extent. And also to varying levels, you have a, a decent amount of offshore exposure within um, basically the SA uh, property space. But obviously, what is key then, which is where the fundamental work comes in, is basically saying um, what is the geographical differential in uh, so economic growth going to be. Uh, so if you look at Central and Eastern Europe in this past period, it actually has uh, done quite well. And you've seen it come through the results of uh, say a company like Nebu Rock Castle, whereas um, Australia, uh, especially with their interest rate environment, has been uh, a bit um, under pressure. Uh, and basically that exposure has hurt uh, to some extent, growth point properties as well through the exposure to to the Australian subsidiary as well. So it's just about getting to, to the nitty-gritties within these companies uh, because essentially you've got, at least for, for most of them, diversified exposure. It's just about taking what that um, underlying exposure actually is for each of them. So you cannot necessarily just allocate across 
according to sort of the macro theme or the, the top level appeal here. Gareth, on your side, do you hold any property stocks in the fantasy fund manager? No, I don't. But actually, from a Korean perspective, um, you know, we were underweight property for a long time. And over the last three to six months, have, have started increasing our property allocation. And I think what what excites me about listening to Kanyani, I think you know, we, we've been through difficult times in the market. Um, but if we, we cast our mind back to a few years ago, there was a concept called Tina, which is there is no alternative and you had to be in just pure equities and equity markets. But now, it, and I think hopefully it, it shows you know, some of our listeners and, and the, the broader investor public how many tools that we actually do have available to us. And it, it becomes, becomes you can be get very negative about your, your, your exposures to markets at times, but we do have instruments, whether it be REITs, uh, now bonds are starting to look attractive. So it, it starts, you know, ha- having what's happened over the last few years in markets and, uh, you know, revaluations have given us an opportunity to enter into sectors, into instruments that give portfolios more opportunity and a more diver- diverse source of, of income streams, as well as return potential. So, you know, the, these types of, of discussions are great because, you know, it, it's very easy to get down on, on portfolios, but you can actually construct a portfolio to be a bit more defensive to focus on shares that have been property shares that have potentially been beaten up, valuations that are looking good, yields of in excess of of 10%, where our inflation is closer towards the 6% mark. So to be getting real yields out of a property sector, plus the possibility of capital upside, you know, these are things that you can start incorporating and and adding some, a bit of a defensive nature to your portfolio in difficult times. Excellent. Thanks, Gareth. We'll bring it back to Fantasy Fund just before we close off. It's next week's the final week of competition. I don't know from where I sit, I got no chance on the overall, but I've got one week to play, Gareth. We have weekly prizes. So I don't know <laughs> I don't know if you have a final tip for listeners, maybe for a final week bash, as they say. Look, I think it's I mentioned it the last time is when you're getting close to this, it's it's a bit of a gamble. Uh my gamble was pick and pay, and as we all know, that's worked out spectacularly. Uh, at least I've got someone of the ilk of Andrew Vincent who also punted that as a, a punt. So I'm not alone. Sorry, Andrew, I had to bring you down with me. Uh, but no, I think when it comes to a week, it's 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 a bit of, not a bit of, it's all about luck. So go for something that is extreme. It's the only chance you've got in a week to climb a leaderboard. <laughs> and can on your side, a gamer tip for the final week? Yeah, so I was also going to say that uh, a week is uh, very difficult to sort of <laughs> play for. Um, generally, um, my tip in general would just be like about paying for the long term, because uh, generally in the short term you've got a lot of noise. Um, you try sort of to to ignore that, and you just sort of think about uh, essentially what happens once uh, everything has settled. Uh, but yeah, I think um, in the final week, unfortunately, it'll be down to luck. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things where uh, the more adventurous um, of the participants can swing for the fences and and see what, what uh, basically comes up. Excellent. Thanks, guys. And thanks for listening. Experts in the studio today were Gareth Montana from Current Capital and Terrence Capital's Kanyani Matloy. Big thanks to our sponsors that make the podcast possible, ShareNet, Terrence Capital, MoneyBetter, and Klukas Grey Asset Management. And remember to subscribe to the podcast below and make your picks by 9 a.m. on Monday morning. But from me, Stuart Lohman, until next time, cheerio. 